How the hell do you call yourself a libertarian and then promote public funds going to a billionaire sports arena? How do you call yourself a libertarian and say you think you should be able to force people into treatment? I don't know. Let's keep going. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Welcome back to Women of Baby Polly's Your Province, Your Problem. I am your host, Deirdre Mitchell-McLean. I am her co-host, Kiki Planet, a.k.a. Kathleen Smith. And I'm Lindsay Amantea. I'm just here. <laughs> <laughs> that works. That really hey, works. I, I just want to say to start things off, the three of us are in full working from home mode right now. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, we didn't even coordinate this and we're all like messy buns no makeup i mean to be fair i did go to the office and this is just how i go to the office now, so. <laughs> i was gonna say way to ruin the fantasy kathleen because i'm pretty sure everybody listening is like yeah we're hot hot it's so hot i'm i'm hot. 56 so obviously i'm like supermodel hot right i'm i'm like temperature rising hot um we're going to jump right in because who i mean who among us isn't dying to talk about the Calgary Flames arena deal with the city of Calgary. And I mean, there's this little weird part in there where it's not just the city of Calgary, but it's the current premier of Alberta. It's the governing party of Alberta that is really taking some credit around here for a deal that is worse for the city <laughs> of calgary than the deal that already fell through I, the original deal was um 60 40 or a 50 50 split oh, with 50, flames 50. yeah with with so the let, flames let, let's let's talk about the original <laughs> deal because what do you mean by the original deal because <laughs> we are on round number four yeah, yeah. be clear this is the third election I will have fought on the same stupid <laughs> arena. Okay, but do, municipal, account, do municipal elections really count, Lindsay? Does that really yes. count? Oh, <laughs> speaking as an Edmontonian who endured about a decade of this hell for Roger's <laughs> right. place, yes, municipal elections count too. <laughs> And you I'm have on. to, you got to understand too that in Edmonton, we weren't only dealing with this arena business, which by the way, Danielle Smith was very clear. She opposed any public funds going to when she was leader of the WRP. She stood very firm on that. But at the same time, we had the arena mess happening. We had the closure of our uh, Muni airport happening oh and that was a big municipal election too uh m municipal election issue so yes municipal elections count <laughs> i'm with Lindsay on that you can only take so much crap you guys do realize of course i'm being super sarcastic here <laughs> <laughs> all elections matter all yes. of them even if it's for a leadership contest in a party you don't support but i digress go on can you write round number four of this of this this arena debacle i don't even know what to call it anymore to be clear the first deal in 2017 
ironically turned down by uh, none other than Nahed Nenshi, would have been the best deal for the city of Calgary. Yes, but we also have to remember that during that election in 2017, there was a massive recession going on in Alberta and Calgary, especially downtown Calgary, was hit so freaking hard. Oh, the idea back your horse up. No, back your horse up. I'm going to stop you right there. I'm going to stop you right there. This was an entirely a political uh, uh, issue because the deal that had been negotiated had been negotiated by Nenshi's opponent on behalf of uh, CSEC. And so Bill Smith was on the negotiating team on the other side. And that's where this came into. They would not. And they killed it right in the middle of the election. Um, and it was entirely politically motivated. Don't start with me about people wanting uh, to deal with the downturn. And Oh, no, no, no. no. I no, know no. that people no, no. didn't want to deal with the downturn. I'm saying that was good. That was good reason for me, for Nancy no, to say, you know really what, done. Cover. Yeah, cover. That was great cover. I mean, we're going to get because... to the, we're going to get to the other cover that, that has been thrown out here in this particular deal. But uh but yeah, it was it was it was a good it was time. It was great cover. And you know, post that election, we did see a project get fundamentally approved. Uh, twenty nineteen. Yeah. And then we would have and we saw that sort of balloon and then that got approved again and then they killed it. And now we are on number four. Now number, four, number four, we're talking Round number four, to be clear, we are no longer, we are not talking apples to apples. We were, before we were talking about just an arena, now we're talking about an an event center and- Like Edmonton has, Ice District. Yeah, so we're talking about adding to an indoor, you know, uh, more indoor and outdoor space, uh, public space, another rink uh, in addition to the arena. So it it is a little difficult to say- um, you know, comparing the numbers apples to apples. But like, to be clear, we went from an arena cost of $550 million to now we're spending $1.2 billion. Mm-hmm. And, and where we had a, a 60-40 split before between the prob- or between the, the city and CSEC, you know, the Flames, et cetera, um, that's Calgary you know, Entertainment or Calgary Sports Entertainment. Sports and Entertainment Company, um, you know, controlled by none other than everyone's favorite Murray Edwards. We went from a project that totally cost five hundred fifty million dollars with a sixty forty split to the city of Calgary is now putting in sorry five hundred and thirty seven million dollars. So the entire cost of the previous project. Yeah. Uh, with the Flames only putting in three fifty six, and the province putting in 300 million yeah Mm -hmm. where the province hadn't really factored in previously um no no Um, and the which is our new our new new player yes Um, and it's also kind of where the problem i mean there's there's questions obviously about how this this deal went from being 275 million dollars out of the city of calgary to now being 537 uh, there's questions as to what the province is doing there. And there's questions about cost overruns. And, and we've co- just well, learned about that today. I mean, one of the... Already? It's only oh. announced for a day. That under the current terms of this deal, 
if there are cost overruns associated with building the arena and building this uh, sports entertainment district, the city's on the hook for those cost overruns as well. Excellent. And there will be cost overruns. Yes, there will let be. me tell you. The project let me tell hasn't you. even changed in scope from it's going to be this much in 2015 right. to and, today. And the other thing that... Um, the other thing you'll find too, and this was and uh, Edmontonians and our can- council, and you've got to understand it was Stephen Mandel as mayor mm-hmm. who who yes. did this deal. It wasn't previous mayor Don Iveson. It wasn't current mayor uh, Amarjeet Sohi. Although both of them were on council at the time the deal went through. But what we discovered in the aftermath of our arena deal was the classic bait and switch. Mm. And it happens all the time with developers where you get this long list of stuff that the developer is going to do on their end, what Mm. they're going to give you. In in this case, let's say it's uh, Calgary Sports and Entertainment Group. You're going to get an extra rink. So were we. It never happened. You're going to get this in your ice district. You're going to get that. Half the stuff never happened. And yet we were still on the hook for everything. And my main concern at this point is we've, I'm not crazy about public funds for play pens for billionaires anyway. I'm especially not crazy about it in Canada where the average family cannot afford to go to a game. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's really frustrating, I think, to a lot of Albertans. Besides public money going into it, it is why is public money going in to support an event and an organization that is out of reach financially for most Albertans? And again, I have a real problem with a premier who in 2012 said no public funding for sports arenas anywhere, ever. And then tells Alberta, oh, yay, I'm going to pay for your arena if you vote for me. It's, if uh, you vote for me. It's the classic, it's the classic role of government, friend. It's, I, I'm, I'm shocked by it. It is, it is wonderful to be able to spend um, public funds on things that you once uh, did not support. Because, yeah. I mean, I, I will, the, the, the one defense I will give, Kath, or um danielle smith is the role of the opposition is to hold the government to account and to make them justify their their spending 100 absolutely which is probably why you know certain individuals should not speak in absolutes because now we're going to talk about it what what i would really say is you know this is why we don't do that but it are you surprised? Are you surprised? Is anyone surprised? Is anyone that... surprised that Daniel Smith said something before that Daniel Smith is now walking back? No, no, but no. I'm surprised that it's this thing specifically. And I'll I'll oh. explain why. I will explain why. Because Daniel Smith is a private business cheerleader. Daniel yeah. Smith, <laughs> Daniel Smith claims to be a libertarian. Daniel no lies, <laughs> no true, no lies. true libertarian, no true libertarian would uh, approve of public funding 
for a sports arena. So this I'm one really, <laughs> this one really shocked me. And she doesn't shock me most of the time because she's so outside of her mind that it's. Imp- I always expect lunacy from her. I I always expect diabolical misspeak from okay. her. But this one I found really surprising. How the hell do you call yourself a libertarian and then promote public funds going to a billionaire sports arena? How do you call yourself a libertarian and say you think you should be able to force people into treatment? I don't know. Let's keep going. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Solid point. Solid yeah. point. So I think uh, what I'm coming to realize more and more is that the premier of Alberta has no ideology. She no. has no the ideology. The premier of Alberta is a sponge and whatever bacteria is around her, she will suck it up it, and then spew it out. But she, there's, there's no guiding light. There's there is no, light. no it's all dark. No path. <laughs> it's just whatever she thinks she can either get away with or pander with in the given moment. Mm-hmm. And that's shocking to me. And I mean, let's, let's, this is Alberta. Okay. We've had some real winners for premiers, but this is even be, this is outside what is normal for Alberta. Even, I mean, Looney Tunes is normal for our politics here. Yeah. But not this usually is, for the, okay. not this though. I don't even know what this is that's happening right now. This is entertainment at it its is, finest. But it is well, every day. What? Well, before the election period, it was every day. Now it's two or three times a day. Some stupid shit comes out of her mouth or she does something stupid like. And they've got convoy, her muzzled. They've got her with muzzled convoy, right now. <laughs> yeah. And she's meeting with convoy extremists <laughs> who are, you know, criminally charged. Like, I, I I had a, I had a, this is, this is entirely a a page out of Trump's playbook though. Yes, it is. exactly how Trump won. Create chaos. It was create chaos. Um, But also you're the champion of, you have to be the champion of someone. And Daniel Smith picked the convoy. Yeah, but she did, but she also seems to be trying to be the champion of a, a bunch of disparate groups. Yeah. Right, she try, she's trying to be the champion. Uh, they're motivated. She's trying, the, she's trying to be the champion of, of you know, big business, apparently. Um, <laughs> you know. Uh, she's trying to be the worried. champion. She's she's queen of the dipshits right now, if you ask me. And I mean, if that's what you want to be, fine. Go be queen of the dipshits. But we need a premier. We need a serious person to lead our province Coming out of this pandemic in really hard economic times, we need a serious person. And Danielle Smith is not a serious person. But what I will say is she is a dangerous person. And I think absolutely she is. Because at the end of the day, people vote based on a perceived emotional connection. And right now she is playing to that. And so if any person out there who's running a campaign or is running uh, running um, to be an MLA thinks that they're going to have an easy walk because it's such chaos and such insanity. You okay. are mistaken. Yeah, this is a, entirely how Trump won, and we will, unless this is taken seriously, and unless 
people buckle down and do the work, we will end up with four more years of Daniel Smith as premier. Now, that being said, her own party might eat her because the conservatives love to do that. Yes. Um, yeah. I well, I don't expect if Daniel Smith actually wins, she's not making it a full term. Won't happen. No, I think they'll try to drive her out as soon as they can. They've already yeah. muzzled her. They they already know that every time they take a step forward, she drags them three steps back with her mouth mm. and her just ridiculous behavior. So if they do manage to squeak out a win, it will squeak out a win. It will be in spite of Danielle, not because of Danielle, oh, and they God, no. will ditch her. Yeah. And my impression from, you know, the UCP still, I, I think there's this misunderstanding of the UCP that it's all right-wing extremists now that it, any of the PCAA types are gone. And that's simply it's a broad, not true. It's a broad paint. It is gosh, like, yeah. it is a very... A lot of, a lot of PCers stayed, you're right. Yes. And I think that, you know, notwithstanding that we had a vote called unity, <laughs> the UCP is anything but united. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, you know, we we've seen... We've seen a particular faction take control. The W, um, the WRP faction. Mm-hmm. This is well, the old Wild Rose faction. And it's worse. not even just the WRP. It is, it is the Back Alberta. This is actually worse. Faction. Yeah. Yeah. Far I, worse. It, because, because it is, it is the worst. There are plenty of people who came from the Wild Rose who are also disgusted with this. It is not oh, yeah. all people from the Wild Rose. And there are plenty of people who are unhappy with what's going on. They are unhappy with Danielle Smith. And this is, why, this is why we're seeing these numbers that we are in polling. So I was going to bring up, uh, David Coletto has, uh, uh, I'm going to say a newsletter. It may be more than a newsletter on Substack. It's called In Focus. And I'm, I'm going to have to subscribe because who among us doesn't want polling results faster? Um, <laughs> So I'm going to have to subscribe to this, uh, but he he put something out the other day or this morning. This is exactly something that I've been thinking and saying. I think the NDP has a ceiling. This is like this is yes. either a um, it's either a, a, a personal issue. The options in my riding of Chestermere Strathmore in this election look to be the NDP and the UCP. Yeah. I am going to vote NDP. I'm voting NDP not because I am now an NDP supporter, but I'm voting for them because those are my options. And I, I there's no way I cannot vote. Um so so I'm I'm in there. Now, we know or at least we felt in some way that the NDP might have a ceiling. The UCP has access to more voters, but with Daniel Smith at the helm, there are a lot of, there are a lot of conservatives who are, their vote is not, yeah, and that's the thing is that their vote is not up for grabs. So this does lead into what our next segment is, which is, is it politics as usual? And here's where I'm going to rely on the expertise from both of you, because I started really paying attention in 2015. So at what at what point in time during previous elections you were paying attention to were conservatives 
pissed off or PCs pissed off and saying, you know what, I'm just not going to vote. I can't imagine this, but can you think of another time that this actually happened? Yeah, there was a lot of that around Prentice. Uh, oh, yeah. Where, right. where I live, there was a lot of that around Prentice. And and uh, I remember the final week, you know, rough and tumble conservative boys. Mm. These are country boys. They were proud to be conservative. Either said I'm not voting or I'm voting NDP. And these are hardcore conservative boys, but they were angry about Redford. They were angry about Prentice and they didn't connect with Prentice. And that made a big difference too, right? Like Notley did something really smart in that election. And that was treat Prentice like an interloper from Ottawa, a Bay Street guy in a suit. Mm-hmm. It's As soon as she took that Alberta image away from him, he, I, I, he was the Michael Ignatieff of that election which i find so entertaining because he actually isn't like that no like no that. no i mean uh, i i met him i spoke with him i actually liked jim prentice i think he was smart i think he knew what had to be done wrong time absolutely entirely, the wrong time entirely and i would say even like i think that this is the third iteration of that sa- of the same fight because i would say even in 2012 you know you had you know, it was sort of an inter-conservative movement um, fight because there wasn't really any any strength left of center. But mm-hmm. you had the same the same sort of thing. And I think at the end of the day, had Redford not run a fear-motivated campaign, she would have lost to Daniel Smith because at the beginning of that campaign, lots of PCs were not going to vote. They were just going to stay home. And well, they were able to use a fear-motivated campaign. Do you really want Daniel Smith to be your premier? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, but Danielle Smith ironic, walked right into that. She walked right into that with, you know, climate change isn't real bullshit. Lake she of said fire that on air. The, the lake of fire bullshit, her problematic co- uh, candidates over and over again, like Leach and, you know, the white supremacist guy who said he could serve yeah. a community better because he's white. There was a lot of problems there. I, I'm not sure if I finished my thought on, on David Coletto's uh, newsletter that not. came out this morning. So, <laughs> which reminded me, um, one of the things that, so his, his latest polling was basically showing that NDP support was pretty much staying NDP, 97%. Yeah. UCP support is sitting at, I mean, there's some people going NDP, about 13% of previous UCP voters, 60% is currently willing to stay with the party. Uh, They've lost 5% from the last time he polled. The Alberta party seems to have picked up 3% and they are back to 20% undecided, which is a huge amount of previous UCP voters, right? Like, I realize it's a new party, but they have fucked up so bad. (laughs) Like it just, I, I, I cannot imagine actually a worse outcome for a new party than what they have done with it. I mean, it's new, but it's not. Um, Yeah, it's not really not because conservatism is a religion here. 
<laughs> it, it, it's a uh, yeah I'm not, I, I don't think I can I don't think I can call we can call it a new party but I think it's going to be interesting to see you know as we sort of pick up um you know our final our final candidates going into the writ period um because I really I really want to talk about this week's additions to the to the playing field um, oh, what who particularly what? particularly in Edmonton Strathcona because Kathleen, you can go vote for the Buffalo Party now. <laughs> Luckily, I don't live in Strathcona. All the extra vote, all the extra parties, uh, the PCs will run a candidate in Edmonton, Strathcona. So will the Wild Rose. Mm-hmm. So will apparently the Buffalo Party. Uh, they all seem to congregate into Rachel Notley's riding. Like, um, we're all going to lose and we know we're going to lose, but we'd rather lose big than, yeah. yeah. And, and well, but sorry, you'd rather lose big to Rachel Notley than showing up in someone else's riding and still getting 0.003%. And there's the flip side of that too, though, Deirdre, where if by some miracle they managed to dethrone the queen... (laughs) Then they've got bragging. Are you kidding? I mean, it would if be bragging rights. If you're the conservative no. candidate who takes out Rachel Notley in her own riding, are you kidding? Well, they're like, building a talk- statue to you. But let's talk about that for a second because that actually did happen in 2013 in the BC election. Christy Clark, while she was the BC Liberals were supposed to now BC United, lol. Um, we're supposed to lose the campaign. They actually picked up four seats, but unfortunately, Christy Clark actually lost her own to David Eddy, yeah. who, if I recall correctly, has has he become the premier of of, of he's the premier? Now? Yeah, he's yeah, the premier. he's the premier now. He, yeah, um, it was the it was a Daniel Smith move, like just you know, just become the leader yeah. of the party that is the governing party, and then you're premier. Yeah. Yay! Yeah, just oh, refuse to go away. <laughs> I mean, like he did. He refused to go away. It was like a third leadership he'd run in. Um, and and he, but to be fair, he, they didn't unseat Horgan. Horgan resigned because he had throat cancer. So yes. slightly, slightly different situation yes. than uh, than our previous. But yeah, Kenny also- just didn't want to deal with the bullshit anymore. That's that's. I don't know. Can we? Would can we you? actually get lower on the? Can we get lower on the scale of? You may not have wanted to deal with the bullshit, but you knew the bullshit that was coming if you weren't there and you left it to us, you cowardly prick. Yeah. I actually I mean, get a, a real I get a real kick out of the the people from Ottawa who come out here thinking that they're going to solve Alberta and they're going to teach Alberta a, a few things here and there and then they get absolutely destroyed. They do. Jim Prentice <laughs> destroyed Jason. Welcome Kenny. to Alberta. <laughs> I don't think I think Jason Kenny seriously thought Alberta was going to be his springboard into the premier's office. But it he, was without he, a pandemic. No, to the prime minister's office. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. To the prime minister's yeah. office. He yeah. didn't want to be a backbencher under Trudeau no. for eight years. This was the great escape for him. And he it was come back to Alberta, unite the conservatives, return Alberta to conservative glory, springboard back into Ottawa and become prime minister. It yeah. is never going to happen now. No. It, but it was never going to happen a, before. But without a pandemic, 
I'm not going to say without a pandemic. I think he could have. Without a pandemic, it was it was a good plan. Yeah, pandemic fucked him. It was a it was a plan. It was a plan. It wasn't a good one. And like, let's be clear, the reason he came back to Alberta in the first place was because after the last round um, of Andrew Shear, you know, for someone who's well, no. So my my favorite my favorite story is the day that the national board made the uh, the the membership fee for the uh, the National Conservative Party twenty five dollars, and they might as well have made it twenty dollars and one cent because all of a sudden you can't pay cash. What? And when you organize, and when you organize in ethnic communities, all of your memberships is on cash. Yeah. No, I killed myself laughing that day. It was Why would they do that? Because they didn't want Jason Kenney to be their leader. Oh. The National Board threw a giant middle finger up to Jason <laughs> Kenney and said, please go home, sir. We are done with you. And that uh, is the And they couldn't stave off uh, Pierre Polyev. Well, I mean, mm. <laughs> but it was it was the biggest well no because again he he wasn't organizing those same communities right and right. so the the places that jason kenny had strength were not the p- places that pierre polyev did his organizing right. right so he is organizing among bread and butter conservatives who already had memberships right right where but where you're going to go and you're going to you're going to you know sell you know 10 20 000 memberships to to win to win you know, the leadership, you can't do that if all of a sudden you have to make everyone pay with a credit card. Yeah, that's true. No, I will follow you. No one uses checks. I use them, but I'm old. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but that's the thing. Like, so when you, I mean, we've gotten horribly off topic, but it was it was the funniest day in in national politics. The day that the 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 CPC national board said no, thank you. <laughs> We're gonna not do this because, because previously, I think their membership fees had been fifteen dollars. I have no idea because I've never had to buy one. Never wanted to it, buy it one. It was either it was either ten or fifteen dollars. So the Liberal Party it was always ten. I think the Conservatives it was fifteen. Um, but it was never twenty. It was never. It was never that that threshold <laughs> for elections Canada where you ha- you couldn't pay cash, right? And Bizarre. and so it was. It was. It's crafty. It was hilarious. I it's it magical. Was <laughs> I thought it was. It, I thought I, it's it was a, a wonderful it, way. It's a lovely story. It is a lovely story. And maybe and maybe I'm imputing a whole bunch of, of motives to, to something that seems a little off at the time. Right. <laughs> I like um, it though. Maybe, Let's go with it. Maybe maybe they wanted ten more dollars from everybody. I don't know. Or that. Yeah. Mean, or that. I like right? it though. I mean, oh. ultimately, membership processing is, does not make a party money. It usually loses the money. Um, that's why the Liberal Party made them free because the data is more important than the money. Speaking of membership. Let's let's segue into that because I happen to think uh, membership and the base are going to be the defining factors in this election. How? I'll They're tell you vote. how. No, yeah, okay, go. I'll tell you how. <laughs> I, I'm not saying, aside from, I think that, uh, I actually think the UCP has struck a chord on the law and order thing and that that just might push them over the top. But I'm seeing a lot of dissatisfaction amongst the NDP space. 
I'm seeing a lot of NDPers oh. saying, I won't vote for this party. This isn't a leftist party. This isn't a progressive party. They're they're angry that Notley didn't directly say, no, an NDP government will not fund this arena. They're mad that uh, Notley has come out being a little pro-police. I wouldn't even say it's pro-police. It's more like, well, we've got shit that needs to get fixed and the police are who we pay to fix it. You know, they're mad about that. There's, there's... Wah, wah, babies. Well, I kind I'm of feel so like... Sorry. I am I, so sorry that she's trying to win an election. Exactly. Exactly. Praise Jesus. So <laughs> let me just say this. I get so frustrated with the left in this country, with progressives in this country, because more and more it feels like they want to be part of an exclusive club, not win an election. They don't want people to come into the party. No, no, they want both. They want to be an exclusive club who wins an election and keeps everyone else out. Yeah, they don't want other people coming in. And while they howl about this person's racist and this person's homophobic, but then when people actually make the effort to change and when they own who they were in the past, well, you said this 10 years ago, so we don't want you in our party, but vote for our party because we deserve to win. Uh-huh. Let me it's tell you a story. I was, I, was bitching, I was bitching about this years ago, uh, or like in the middle of the pandemic, about the Alberta party, because I think the Alberta party is the pinnacle of this kind of attitude. Um, and I was I was out for a walk with somebody because it was the only thing we were allowed to do. And so and, and I had tweeted, I had tweeted on the Twitter, all I want is to be able to go to a coffee shop and get my hair done. And not have to wear a mask. <laughs> and it wasn't like I wasn't gonna not wear a mask. I I I still wear masks lots of places. Um, and I think I will. Like there's certain places I think I'll always wear a mask now. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. I'm so sorry, but if I'm sitting in a doctor's office and everyone around yeah. me is sick, I'm gonna yep. wear a mask. <laughs> yeah. Not just it's it's logical. Yeah. But we were walking, and and, and uh, an unnamed person from the Alberta party said wow first world problems and i was like i am so sorry that i'm expressing a feeling about the fact that we're in a pandemic <laughs> friends on on the internet look i i don't know uh i i was involved with the alberta party about 10 years ago for about half a second and deirdre and i don't agree agree on this but that's okay we still love each other me too for for me, the Alberta Party is a bunch of middle-aged white men with cigars and glasses of scotch who sit around pontificating and come up with a lot of great ideas, but none of them are really willing to put in the work. I'm going and to my with frustration with the party point. when I was involved with it, my frustration was that they kind of only wanted the women there to do the work. And that when we tried to contribute our opinions, when we tried to contribute our thoughts, I felt condescended to in that party. I felt that the men that were at the center of that party were so busy with their pseudo-intellectual masturbatory bullshit that they weren't doing the work. That was my experience in the party. So I'm going to disagree with you on a singular point, and it is okay. some of those people are also middle-aged white women. <laughs> Oh, none of you can see oh. the little like little arrows that I'm I'm yeah. uh, I'm shooting at Kathleen. 
Rimshot. 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 Um, anyway. Deirdre's just but making faces out of the Deirdre has feelings. Deirdre has feelings. Deirdre is not entirely allowed to have those feelings. Yes. But at the end of the day, one of the things, and I would say that, the, you know, pre-2015 NDP and even 2015 campaign NDP, because I don't think anyone, including the NDP, thought they were going to win. No, they didn't. Um, um, it's, it was really easy at that time because they weren't playing to win. They were not playing to form government. And so now in this, in such a, a short span of time, you have a party that's gone from playing third fiddle, realistically, and nationally seems to continue to want to do that. Third place um, protest party, party. Yeah, third place protest party. And, and they were comfortable with that. And, and it serves a purpose in our democracy. And I love the fact that we have a multi-party system for simply that. And that it exists. Um, that, and that it exists. But now you have a party that went from third party protest party to playing to win. Mm-hmm. And that transition is hard on the party faithful yeah. who were just there to protest. They weren't there to win. Well, and you also, you have that, that the, the fact that being in opposition is so much easier than being government because you do get to espouse your principles and you get to, um, you get to propose ideas and policy and you don't have to think about the ramifications. You don't have to think about anybody else. You get to just be principled which you get to you get to play to the base too yeah but i i think that also leads us back to what danielle smith is doing wrong and i'm happy she's doing it wrong but what she's doing wrong is she is still playing to that extremist base like she's the leader of the official opposition instead of vote for her yeah, like the, the like extremists. Exactly, yeah. yeah, but that's who they're she's still playing extreme. to. No one else, but they have no one else to vote for. And this is this was the same mistake that honestly Aaron O'Toole made, in my opinion. Um, and I think he might have been a decent prime minister. I don't know. We'll never know now. Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> oops. But like he seemed like a decent human being, right? Like Andrew yeah. Shearer, I wasn't super sure about, but but like at least Aaron O'Toole, I could kind of get behind. Um, and I sure would just say, like, struck me stupid. Eh, it was just he was a little vacant. Um, yeah. But 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 with Aaron O'Toole, at least I could you know like I could you know I wouldn't feel horrible if he were if he were the prime minister. Um, but the problem he had was he never pivoted back to the center, right? He kept yeah. playing to this base because he was so worried about the PPC taking his vote that and. and and like in my opinion, the people who were going to vote PPC were always going to vote PPC. So he should have gone for that centrist vote. He should have gone for the liberal vote, and he didn't. And that is the mistake he made because he could have been prime minister right now if he had had a better strategy and he had gone after the people who actually needed yeah. to make up their mind. And so right. that's why going back to Deirdre's point, the fact that there is a twenty percent undecided vote right now is, especially in some of these really close ridings, is monumental. Yeah, yeah. It's huge. In a campaign like this, it is absolutely monumental where we are running, you know, such a close race in some of these ridings. Like there's about 15 or 20 ridings where we're running toss up ridings, which actively will change the outcome of this election. Yeah. And so that's incredibly important to point out. It's cr- incredibly important for, you know, so Daniel Smith doesn't seem to be to be playing to it, but Rachel Nolly is. 
just in the comments that you've made. And yes, it's going to piss off the base, but you want to know what? Those people are still voting NDP. Yes, exactly. They're not going to go vote for the Buffalo party. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I think though, I, I, I also think when we talk about these politicians who, um, who pander to these more extreme, uh, the more extreme faction of their parties during an election, I think there's also we're we're at a point now where we have to hold those same politicians responsible for amplifying the extremism. I've really come to believe that if if politicians didn't pander to those minority factions, resulting in amplification, resulting in more people paying attention to the extremists, resulting in media stories about the extremists, which lead to even more amplification, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in now. And because we've already discussed Trump, I think Trump is a great example of that. Trump got so much free media. Yeah. Just from being so a lunatic. And then his followers got free media. It, like he won that election on the back of CNN bitching about Trump 24 mm-hmm. 7. Fox didn't win that election for Donald Trump. CNN won it while they were bashing him all day and giving him media exposure all day. Yeah. There's got to be a point where we start holding politicians responsible for amplifying the worst. I'm laughing because right now Lindsay is making me very sad that I I quit drinking. (laughs) And that's my favorite too. So But it's Eau Claire Gin. Eau Claire. Earl Grey. Earl Grey Gin. Yes. Lavender soda. Yes. Stop it. Taunting. This is a this is a this is a two drink podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Deirdre. Let's move on to the next topic. What do we got up? All right. So our next topic, as we've already slightly discussed, is is a little existential because what is going to be different with an NDP government? And the reason that I'm bringing this up is because I have seen some of the tactics that people are and and supporters are using and they're saying things like um you know the ucp actively hurt people so i'm like they're they're referring to the fact that the ucp rolled back the uh inflation increase to h and things like that and i mean i looked at this and i was like don't make me uh remind people that The NDP formed government in 2015. And do you know when they indexed age? 2019. So don't tell me that that this party is going to be so much better. Now, I will absolutely admit to the fact that the NDP didn't have a lot of money. They were pretty screwed. It was a recession. Yeah. And so there are a lot of things that the NDP didn't do that they didn't have the money to do. But I also have to say, so so explain to me how this is going to be different. The NDP did a lot of things. They did cut spending. They didn't increase funding where it should have gone. And you can say these are smaller, more vulnerable groups. And that's why the conservatives attacked them. But you know what? That's also why the NDP could have helped them because the cost associated with it 
is so fucking minimal. Yeah. And this is where you know, I though, like I have an issue with I people have, saying this is the more compassionate party. Okay. I'm willing to give the NDP a little bit more leeway though. I'm willing to be a little bit more forgiving of the NDP because they didn't fuck me over for 40 years. Because they were a brand new government trying to find their footing in a province that has had nothing but conservative governments for 40 years. They couldn't even bring in their own people. They couldn't even really clear house because the entire machine was conservative. So I'm willing to I'm willing to say, yes, there is other stuff the NDP should have done that they didn't. There is stuff that they did do that they shouldn't have. But for four years, we had a government that was relatively scandal free that I actually believed wanted to do good by Albertans and a premier who finished their full term. And we haven't had that in as long as I can remember. They the conservatives pushed out Klein, pushed out Stelmat, pushed out Redford. Then we got Hancock for a few months. Then we had Prentice. Then we had four years of the Notley government. And it was kind of calm. It was kind of nice to not just have crazy oh. politics. Oh, my God. Kathleen, your privilege of living in Edmonton is showing. Because why I'm out in fucking rural and I tell you it was not calm. There no, was no calm. I, No, no, I don't mean (laughs) calm Albertans. I mean calm in terms of political scandals and that kind of shit. It was a calm government. Premiers getting pushed out and resigning. It was a nice reprieve. Do you know what didn't... It didn't scare me having an NDP government, but what did scare me is the way that conservative Albertans responded to it. It... And and now at the same time, I honestly look at this and I say, do we have to cater or pander to people who are taking offense when there is no offense there? Do, do we have to try and placate people who are angry for really no reason that we can Other see? Other than the fact that their team didn't win. Right. But it was, it was, um, I'm going to back this up. There was so a seismic shift. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to back this up so many steps. And, and, and the reason I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to take the opposite side, but I hate that you guys keep making me defend them. <laughs> it's not okay. This is um, why Lindsay's here. <laughs> hurts my soul. Um, but here, but here's the thing. The NDP was not ready to govern. No, and, they weren't. At, at, in any particular way. And even bringing in people like Brian Tott from BC, even bringing in some of the star, you know, quote unquote, NDP talent. Sorry. <clears throat> the quote unquote should be around the star, not NDP talent. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not that mean. Um, but, uh, you know, there was no transition plan. There was no one to step into political appointments. So they didn't. They did not fire any of the deputy ministers. They did not fire yeah. any of the political appointed staff. And so... When we say nothing, not much changed, it's because all of the recommendations came from the exact same people. So while the people at the top may have changed, the general apparatus of government did not and continued to not for that entire four term, four right. years. Mm-hmm. In fact, a number of those people still continue to hold their positions under this government. So we went from Prentice to Notley to Daniel Smith, Jason Kenny, and the same people are still making the recommendations. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, 
you can you can talk about some of the the shitty fucking decisions certain uh, ministers <clears throat> Shadrow have made um, about a number of topics, um, but those were not you can you can read back through the 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 ministerial notes and and stuff like that and those were not not much shifted in the ministries themselves right and my concern with putting in another ndp government is that they have not learned anything in the last eight years Hmm. which i haven't i haven't fully seen the campaign yet but i absolutely have the same worry because they they were supposed to be i mean i was working for the alberta government on may 5th 2015 or sorry may 6th and i drove into calgary i drove into my job with uh alberta seniors at the time and i was just like you know sunshines and rainbows like things are changing this is going to be amazing and little by little I was told, you know what? It's it's not. Don't worry. It's not going to change. And I was like, this will be the last time I work for the government of Alberta. Because seriously, if you can elect an NDP government and nothing is going to change still. And, and I would be curious yeah. how much of that is, is, is just simple entrenchment because there haven't been changes in this province and right. so but the NDP did not take that opportunity to clean house no. to Catherine's point and and part of it was because they weren't prepared to do it um and nothing over that four years has con- over the four years they formed government and in the four years in the interim nothing they have done has convinced me that they have done any better in figuring out who to put in those positions in building their networks in making sure that they're going to have DMs and political appointees and advisors who are going to think differently and make different recommendations than the status quo. Yeah, I want I to believe that you're wrong. I'd like to believe you, that you're wrong. <laughs> but right? yeah. but yeah. as yeah. you know, as a politically engaged person who has spent a fair amount of time on social media and examines messaging and narrative and rhetoric one of my main concerns over the past four years is that the ndp has not taken this time to refine their messaging to define who they are to albertans and to pinpoint exactly uh who they need to connect with and what they need to say to connect the party has not matured it has not matured beyond 2015. Um, it should have. That should have been the moment that changed that party. It changed the messaging. It changed. Um, but they were still the, a little, they were the little party that could and they yeah, still yeah. are. And it's. Well, it's, and that's not yeah. to say they don't have, like, I think Notley's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think she's a, a solid leader. I think she's got skin like an alligator handbag. Like nothing affects her and she keeps carrying on and i love that about her uh i i greatly enjoy shannon phillips i think she's fantastic i think she's strong and she's got a spine of tie of titanium uh i think they've got some great people on their benches but it's also a shallow bench it's a shallow it was yes it was shallow It was shallow when they won. It was shallow when they won with candidates who cried when they found out they won because they didn't want to be an MLA. 
Like that shit actually happened where on election night, NDP candidates won and were upset that they won because Because that's not what they signed up for. They signed up to be a name on ballot. Yeah. They signed up to be a name on ballot. And and I will say this, you know, we saw the same thing happen in 2011 with the orange, the orange crush. Um, Some people definitely stepped up to the challenge. Federally, yeah. um, federally, I think, you know, everyone knows the story about uh, Ruth Ellen Brousseau, who was in, she was a 24-year-old bar manager who was in Vegas the night that she won. Yeah. <laughs> um, she also came back and learned an entire language and became a very good MP. Yes, um, she did. And, and uh, I have nothing but respect for her um, because she put her heart and soul into into actually into doing that job. Um, but a lot of people didn't. A lot of people did not sign up for, you know, you look at people like... Um, you know Margaret McC- uh, McClay Boyd, who ended up being under Notley the the um, energy, energy minister, because mm-hmm. she was the only one qualified to do it. But it, as far as far as I've heard, she didn't sign up to be an MLA. She signed up to be a name on a ballot. Yeah, and yet she was but a very good MLA. She was and an she excellent was. MLA and a wonderful minister. And yeah, she and did a just an extremely um, extremely good human being. Entirely, but there's a reason she didn't reoffer, and yeah. there's a reason she's not running this time, um, and and it's because she did not sign up for this shit. Honestly, <laughs> it is. So we're, it is we're not a fun gig. We are uh, coming pretty much to the close of our time here. We are, and I now have a new exit, uh, a new outro, if you will. Outro. Um, did you know so that Women true. of Amy Polly is on Substack? Yay! Yay! Hey for us, bitches! We mm-hmm. are there at womenofbabypolly.substack.com. Check us out, subscribe to updates, even show us your support with a paid subscription. Stay engaged, edgy, and entertained. 